Welcome to When God Breaks Through, a podcast designed to look at the messy moments in motherhood and show how the gospel applies in practical ways, giving us hope and grace as we interact with our own kids. You'll hear crazy stories and life lessons from my mothering of eight kids. But more importantly, you'll hear the hope Jesus offers us for peace and not anxiety, for grace both for ourselves and to extend to our kids, and wisdom to point them to Him. I'm your host, Bethany Kimsey. Welcome back to The Kitchen Table. This week, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to really think about it before you keep going in this podcast, because this question really does define a lot for me personally in my walk with the Lord, in my walk as a woman, in my walk in all the roles I play. This question, the answer to it, defines a lot for me. This is the question. Are you ready? How does God look at you? And what I mean by that question is, how do you believe God is looking at you? Is he looking at you as a wife, a mother, a person, a working person, a daughter, a sister? Like, is he looking at you in light of the roles that you play? Do you think that's true? Do you think he is looking at you in light of what you offer for him or what you have done well? Or... Are you walking in the truth and the freedom that comes from understanding that God is looking at you for you, only you, not what you do for others or what, how you impact other people. That's not when he looks at you, his primary first look is you. And the reason I think this is important is a lot of times in motherhood, we can begin to believe that everything is about being a good mom. You may even listen to this podcast and think, man, if I could just get everything right, I would be a good mom. I would be the mom God wants me to be. And then what happens is when we have that thought, then we begin to believe that God truly is sitting there watching you, even engaging with you, but only from the standpoint of, so you can be a good mom. And then God slowly, as that begins to be the framework that we see, see for a calling on our life and motherhood, see for our relationship with God, that he is making sure we're a good mom. Then what begins to happen is God becomes somebody with a checklist. And so today, for me, I want to share that that is a very slippery slope that I can slide down. I have been a believer since I was a child, and I have been walking and understanding the beautiful truth of the gospel in ever-deepening ways for a very long time, and I still slide down that slope. I still 
can believe that God is checking boxes on Bethany. Checking boxes that I'm a good mom, I'm a good wife, I'm a good minister, I'm a good writer. I'm like that he is interested in the boxes I can complete. And my heartbeat today, because we're about to open, unpack and open up a series that I really want to lay this foundation first in, which is God is interested in you for you. He is interested in you. He wants relationship with you. He wants to refine and change you because he knows the closer you walk with him, the more your eyes are tipped up to meet his, the more your ear is tuned into him. These other things will happen. You'll have insight into how you can be a better mom for your child. You'll have wisdom and how to love your husband well. You'll have clear thought in how to be creative or engage the world or serve the loss. Those things are only byproducts. But sometimes we get confused and we think that's what God, that's his whole MO when he's interacting with us is so that we can be. And my invitation to you is I want us to look in a passage of scripture today and really understand Jesus's heartbeat for his disciples, I believe, absolutely is reflected or reflects the concept of what his heartbeat is for us as moms. And I hope maybe we'll bring a little bit of, huh, to your soul. And then I want you to write it on paper somewhere and put it on your mirror. Because it's a slippery slope. Your God is not into checklists. He is into a relationship with you. He has pursued you from the very beginning of time. And it was not so that he can create a robotic mom who is the best good Christian mom. He has pursued you from the beginning of time because he knows that your heart will be most fulfilled. Your soul will be most at peace and at rest. And your very life will be the most fulfilled when number one, your relationship with him is deep and loving. And you understand that he is your source. And then the byproducts are good because it's in that that then all the equipping and empowering and the changing of our lives happens but that you can't get it out of order and I promise you there is nothing less fulfilling than feeling like all you are supposed to do is check a bunch of boxes checking boxes leaves you empty I've done it It's performance. It's not the gospel. So today we're going to crack open some scripture. It's where God has had me for this last month. Because again, remember, this is a slippery slope and I can slide down it. And so there are many seasons of my life where the Lord has brought me an unpacked. Bethany, this is my heartbeat for you. It is not a bunch of boxes for you to check. 
my, this, this is my heartbeat and he's done it again. And so today I just wanted to share this with you. So I know that so many of you tell me that you exercise with me. So I'm glad that we're exercising together. (laughs) And, uh, uh, I had a great email from somebody, um, actually over, um, in another country, not even in the United States. And, um, she works out with me. (laughs) So if you're working out today, I think I'll be able to give you the information you need. And then I'm going to encourage you, though, at some other point to go and find your Bible and read these passages for yourself. But otherwise, um, here we go. We're going to get into the word. We're going to go to Mark. God has had me in Mark for uh, a while now and going really slowly. So the way, just as a side note, the way I really have learned to study the word, the way God has taught me. Bethany, this is really a profitable way for you to study the word is I will ask, you know, kind of go, Lord, where should I study? What, what book should I be in? And then just taking it apart little bit by little bit, making sure that I understand the context all around the passage, but I'm not trying to even read a whole chapter. So I've been reading Mark for two or three months and I think I'm in Mark, I'm in Mark 10. And this, we're going to talk about Mark 6. So it's been slow going, but it's really wonderful. So, uh, but we're going to talk about Mark 6 through Mark 8. And I want to unpack two stories because I think it holds a piece of truth for us in our motherhood, but about how Jesus actually views us. In Mark 6, Jesus had sent all of his disciples out two by two to go out and they were, Jesus was equipping them and teaching them that they could cast out unclean spirits, that they could do healings, that they were to go town to town and call for repentance. This is what he was giving them these orders. You go do this. This is where you hear that. Like if you remember where Jesus says, um, if they don't accept you or they don't um, welcome you in, like shake the dust from that, from that house and, and get out of there. So the disciples have just had this experience and they have done this and they're coming back to Jesus to report. That's what I want you to understand. They have just had massive, huge indications of God power inside of them coming out of them. Like they have watched God through them minister to people. And they're coming back to Jesus with all these stories. And, you know, they're pumped and they're like, that was awesome. I mean, you know, you're putting it into our terminology. That was the best thing I've ever done. I can't believe it, God. That was so cool. And Jesus says to them in John 6, I mean, in Mark 6, he says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. And so the indication is, I mean, you've just had this awesome experience, but now we need to like, we need to rest. We need to recharge, re-energize, understand that, you know, that we have to fill back up. And so they get in a boat. Okay. And I want you to remember, I want you to look, whenever you go back and read this, I want you to read all the boat crossings that happen between Mark six and eight, because I think there's even stuff there that you could dig out, but we're not going to do that today, but they get in a boat. They go to another place and the people 
had seen them and the people like ran from all the towns and got there ahead of time for where their boat was going to land on the shore. And so they're supposed to be going for rest and they get out to massive crowds. And this is when Jesus then goes ashore, sees the big crowd. And Mark says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And this is when the disciples then come to him and they're like, you know, it's late. And I'm sure, remember, they were supposed to be, they were thinking they were coming to rest, right? So, you know, there's a part of them that's like, Jesus, it is so tired, so tired. And so the disciples say, can we send them away so they can go get something to eat? They can go buy what they need. And Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And then the disciples say, well, in essence, well, what? We, we don't even have any money. We don't, we don't have enough. I don't have enough to go buy anything. I don't have enough here. What am I supposed to do? And then Jesus says, well, what do you have? Go and see. And so the disciples go and see, right? They go find out. And this is the classic story. They come back and they say, well, we have five loaves and two fish. So Jesus has everybody sit down in groups and he breaks everything. He gives a blessing, gives it to the disciples to give to the people. Remember that order. And then he has the disciples pick up what's left over. And when they fed those 5,000 men that day, there were 12 baskets of food left over. And the estimates from biblical scholars is there was probably closer to between 10 and 20 thousand people there with the women and children. And, you know, in this one, Mark very clearly says, you know, Jesus even has them sit in groups of 50 or a hundred. So there's some countability, like Jesus wants the disciples to understand what he's about to do, like in the fullness of it. He wants them to see the fullness of this miracle, the fullness of his provision and the fullness of the abundance that comes on the back end. So he puts every piece of food in the disciples' hand and tells them to set it before the people. And he has the disciples pick up every crumb of abundance and understand what it was. Okay? Well, what's interesting about this is that in Mark 8, then in the rest of Mark 6 and 7, Jesus then walks on water. They get back in a boat. Jesus walks on water. It's when Peter walks on water, fall, falls in. Then they get on the other side. The Pharisees come, ask them some questions. Jesus does a lot of healing. He does a lot of miracles. And the disciples are witnessing all of this. They're, they're seeing all of these miracles happen. He heals a deaf man. He heals um, a child who was um, full of unclean spirits or demons like they see time and time and time again Jesus doing this and then it says and in those days this is Mark 8 in those days a great crowd had gathered and Jesus if you look at this in the synoptic gospels there's in three different places basically this crowd the second crowd Jesus has been teaching for three days the first crowd it was one day this is a three-day crowd And they had nothing to eat. And so Jesus calls his disciples to him and he says the almost the same thing he said in Mark 6. It says, I have compassion on the crowd. And that's what he said in Mark 6. He had compassion on the people. He said, they've had, they've been with me. They have nothing to eat. We need to basically come up with some food. And the disciples again say what they said the first time. They say, 
well, how can we feed people with bread here? And and here they're saying the first time it was like we don't have any money. This time it's, I mean, there's no stores. It's a desolate place. There's no stores. There's no place for me to go get bread, Jesus. What am I supposed to do? And Jesus says to them, what do you have? To bring, you know, in essence, go and see what you have and bring it to me. So they come back and they say, we have seven loaves. So again, Jesus tells the crowd to sit down in the groups. He takes the seven loaves. He looks up to heaven. He prays. He blesses the food. He gives it to the disciples and tells the disciples to set it before the crowd, to give it to the crowd. And then again, at the end, everybody eats. And then again, at the end, Jesus tells the disciples, pick up all the broken pieces. And now in this story, there are seven baskets full. And then immediately after that, he gets his disciples in another boat. And as they're getting in this boat, they have another conversation with the Pharisees. And now finally they're in the boat and they look at one another. And this is Mark eight fourteen, And they realize they're in the boat and they're hungry. They're probably very tired. And they realize they, don't, they only have one loaf of bread. And they're all hungry. And you can you imagine these 12 men, they're all big men. And they're like, that's not going to feed one of us, let alone all of us. And, you know, there's probably somebody and there, maybe Peter, I don't know, who's like, y'all, we just had seven baskets over there. We should have just taken a basket and stuck it in the boat. Why didn't we do that? But what's fascinating to me in this part of it, this last part of it, and then I'm going to get to all the application. But I want you to remember, they have just been, they've just watched Jesus multiply loaves for people. But they're not, they never asked Jesus to multiply a loaf for them in the boat until Jesus confronts them and runs back through. And this is what he says in Mark 8. He says, uh, why are we discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? And then Jesus says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And the disciples knew, and they said 12. And he says, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And I think his point here with the disciples, one of the points that he is making and he's pointing out to them is not putting some so often we want to put our faith in what we see, what we can what we can make, what we can put together, what we can what we hold in our hands. And so in that boat, this last boat, they were holding one loaf of bread. We put our faith in that one loaf of bread, and if we break it up small enough, we can all get a little bite. And what Jesus is beginning to introduce to his disciples is a whole different thing, right? which is what he had put on display for his disciples twice, not once, twice. Twice he had compassion for the crowd, but he goes to his disciples to ask how they can help him solve it. Twice the disciples are like, I don't know, I got nothing. Twice Jesus says, well, what do you have? Bring it to me. And then twice Jesus out of very small nothingness, 
creates an abundance and an overflow. And nowhere in any of these stories is there aggravation or annoyance or why can't you get it right so that you can remember this. That is not Jesus' heartbeat to his disciples. Not even here at the end where he is saying, like, why, why are we talking about bread? Do you not get it? But when you look through the commentaries, it's, it's not, he's not sitting there just so frustrated and angry. His heart is not anger. His heart is a patient going back over the facts, saying, I'm trying to unpack this in such a way that your eyes are opened and you understand and your faith has deepened. The heartbeat of these stories, I think, has multiple layers. Jesus had great compassion for the crowd. Oftentimes in motherhood, we think that Jesus is engaged in our home so that our kids can know Jesus. And there is a layer of that that's true, right? So what we choose to do in our home does reflect the love of a heavenly father and the love of Jesus and a calling to him. Like we're wanting to reflect that so that our child will one day understand their desperate need for a savior who will make them have real peace and real joy and real purpose. Like that is our prayer, it's our heartbeat. But what sometimes can happen is we can begin to believe that is all it is and that I'm just a widget God is using to do this for my kids. And what I think these two stories portray very clearly is that I think the primary of these two stories is the equipping of the disciples. It's the embedding into the disciples' hearts that Jesus is provider. He is all. He is in abundance. He is the one I should run to with what I have and say, I don't know, but this is what I have. And trusting Jesus to go, okay, let's do it. And you know, we are... In this story, we sit in that seat of disciple. And Jesus has great compassion on our children. He does. But I think that he is wanting to have a relationship with you and me in which he invites us to be right next to him and have the intimate conversations of, this is what I see that your children need. And we're... Our natural response is, I don't know how to do that, Lord, and I don't know. I don't think I'm a good mom there, and I can't figure that out. And what do I do here? Who do I go get? There's no store open. There's no, I don't have enough money for that. I can't. And Jesus is like, what do you have? Bring it to me. And let me watch me multiply it. And watch me show you that there's an abundance. And then the beautiful thing in motherhood is when we walk in that position with Jesus, we also get to gather up all the abundance. You see, so much of what we do can be a bunch of boxes we check. We, you know, oh my goodness, there are so many, and I'm going to list them, and I don't ascribe to these. So, but but I've heard them. In, in 23 years of mothering, I hear them all the time. Well, 
you make your kid have a devotional. You have a devotional with your kid. You pray every night with your kid. You pray every morning with your kid. You pray the armor of God over your kid. You, um, you know, you teach your children to love Jesus. You teach them all the hymns. You make them memorize verses. You teach them to be kind. You, like, there are so many, and if you could see me on a camera, like, I'm putting quotes around it, ways to teach our kids about Jesus, to be a good Christian mom, to check the boxes. And I'm just going to tell you, it's not a guarantee. None of that guarantees anything. And if you spend your life checking boxes and you miss the fact that Jesus wants you to be the disciple right up against him. Having these intimate conversations, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I have anything here, Jesus. And hearing, though, the father's heart for your child, the compassion he has for your child, and letting him unpack for you even, because I don't even think the disciples were really thinking that the people were hungry. It was Jesus who goes, I think these people are hungry. You know, I mean, yes, once they did, but it really is Jesus unlocking compassion in his disciples for the people. I think the disciples the first time were just tired. <laughs> they had just been on a big stuff and they wanted to go rest. But when we, when we tie ourselves up next to Jesus and we allow Jesus to usher us into the intimacy of being his disciple and the conversation is, this is what I see. This is the need I see, Bethany. And then my first reaction almost every time is, Jesus, I am ill-equipped and I don't know how. And I don't think I can. And this one's too hard. And this, this kid, this stage, this season, it's too hard. I'm, I'm messing it up. But Jesus' response to us is, what do you have? Go and see. Bring it to me. And what do we have? Well, most of us would probably go, not much, or I would. But you have been given the Holy Spirit living within you. And you have been given an open invitation to the most powerful weapon that you have, which is prayer. So you have the Word of God. You have the Holy Spirit. And you have prayer. And when you bring these three things in your hands and you're like, well, I don't know how good I can pray and I don't really know how to read the Bible great to find the answer for why my teenager's feeling this way or my toddler always screams at me, tells me he hates me. Jesus goes, just bring it to me and let's sit together and watch me begin to work and I'm going to ask you to set it before the people. You see, that's the invitation. That's the holiness of motherhood is that he will begin to impart to you wisdom that you've never believed and understood before. Like I can't tell you the number of times when I brought this messy tangled problem I'm having with a kid to Jesus and set it at his feet and he has unraveled it and given me insight I never would have had into the heart of that child and why they're struggling there. But then the calling is Bethany, so go and serve that. Go set it before your child. 
go and serve that to them. And then gather up the abundance. That's his heartbeat for you. That's how he sees you and me. He issues an invitation to come close. To be one of the 12 that have the intimate conversations in order to equip the crowds, which are your children right now. It is a beautiful gifting, but it isn't so that the crowd has food. It is so that you are deeply equipped in your faith because he knows, just like he knew with the disciples, he knew that these moments were going to write for all eternity on the disciples' hearts when more came, when he died, and they were then called for the rest of their lives to shout his name out. They were not confused about who the provider was, who to run to with their measly portions, who to ask and beg for all that they needed. They knew to run to Jesus. It was written in. But he's also not frustrated. Look, he's not frustrated. He literally repeats the exact same scenario with his disciples, and they do not get it the second time. And it's not like there was like a year that passed between these where somebody could have forgotten. It truly was weeks. They had just done this. You would have thought one of them, you would have thought Peter, only because Peter's so vocal, would have been like, hey, y'all, I mean, like, didn't he already do this once? But nobody does. Nobody clues in. And so it's also, I believe, okay for us. See, sometimes some of us believe, well, I, I should have already known that. And here I am relearning it. Some of us, when we slide down the slippery slope of believing God is all about a checklist and he begins to realign your heart again and go, no, I'm all about you. Not a checklist. You. I'm about you. And then we want to get, we want to beat ourselves up and say, I should have known that. But Jesus never does that. Jesus doesn't scold the disciples about not understanding. In fact, he takes more time on the boat later on and unpacks both of them and ties them together so that these disciples have a really good understanding. Because Jesus is about equipping you and me. He is about embedding his truth deep in our hearts so that our faith deepens. Because the truth is, and as a mom who's had a lot of years with a lot of kids and seen a lot, the things that I've learned early always have come back to play out in other spaces with my kids later. Like I have to keep reapplying the same truths. And a lot of times I forget. I'm forgetful. But Jesus is faithful and patient to remind And also to tie back and go, remember when I did it before? I'm going to do it again. So my heartbeat today, before we go further and start into a series that I think people could listen to and say, oh, this is a bunch of checklists and I better do all the checklists. I want you to understand something. Your God invites you to surrender, to submit to come in front of him with what you have in your hands and say, it's all I got because he has compassion on your family and he is inviting you to be the disciple, to serve the abundant 
bread of himself to your kids. But it is so that your faith deepens. It is so that your intimacy with him is richer. It is so that you know Jesus more. It is not to check a box in motherhood. He doesn't have a checklist, y'all. And that is a good thing. We can rest our hearts in that. I'm so glad that you've been here today. I hope you understand that more than anything, Jesus loves you. He created you and he designed you to be the mother that you are with the children that you have. Some of you today feel like you're at the end and you're the worst. And I want to just refute that with all the power of God. Because it is not your power. It is not your skills. It is not your wisdom. It is nothing of you. You need to bring what you have to Jesus and let him do the rest. And he will give it to you to serve to your people. Reach out to me with any emails or questions or comments. I would love to walk with you in the coming weeks as we move into the summer. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When God Breaks Through. If you're wanting to connect with me and with other moms walking in the same messy moments, head over to bethanykimsey.com. That's where you'll also find the show notes with any links, as well as more resources you can grab to help you see that when God breaks through, when we see Jesus at work, the fuzzy intersection of real-life mothering and the gospel becomes very clearly defined. We can walk with confidence and purpose. Have a grace-filled day.